Before we get started with this episode of Board Game with Education, I want to share our holiday promotion with you. So really excited for this. We have different levels you can unlock based on how much you spend on our store. So the first level is $65 and you get $10 off. The next level, if you spend just five more dollars, we're going to throw in a free game. The game is the Christmas Lights card game. If you're interested in this game, you can add this game to your cart and you get it as a free gift. Thank you to 25th Century Games for sponsoring this portion of our holiday promotion. If you are not interested in the game, you can send us an email and let us know. We'll be happy to add some Edugamer points to your account instead. Also next is our $95, which is free shipping on your entire order. So that means you're gonna get $10 off a free gift and free shipping. In the final level, if you spend $120, you get $20 off free shipping and a free gift. So be sure to check out our promotion. You'll have to sign up for our email community to receive that offer. You can find that at boardgamingwitheducation.com. All right, let's get to the episode. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. So I'm joined today by Rich Hill. A lot of you know Rich if you've listened to some of our earlier episodes on the podcast. He lived in Taiwan while I was there, and we started Board Game with English. But this is Board Game with Education. We've kind of expanded since then, and Rich ditched me for bigger and better things. (laughs) He went back to the States when I was still living in Taiwan and taught in New York for a little bit. And then now he's a social studies high school teacher in Virginia. Uh, He has a lot of experience teaching around the world as well. And he's done a bit of game-based learning curriculum. So I'm excited for him and I to listen to the conversation today. Um, before I introduce our guests and our topic, Rich, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? I, I feel like you nailed it. Like, you know me so well. I, I don't know if I can add anything else. Uh, but yeah, I am a social studies teacher. I teach uh, 10th and 11th grade history class, AP geography class. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, something you left out is we've been starting a Madden franchise. That's something I share. I share with a lot of people because we haven't been able to play a lot of board games. So, you know, I think you did make a mistake. I think you said we're in 2025. We're actually in 2024. Just Oh, he listened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. All right. So today we are listening to Havis about designing a game based curriculum. So him and I chat a little bit about this and he shares some of his tips and insights about designing this type of curriculum. And Rich and I are going to listen to that conversation. So Havis, a little bit about him. He is an educator, currently a teacher trainer in Canada, and he's also taught all over the world. So it's kind of cool. Rich, myself, and Havis have taught in a lot of different countries combined. If you combine all of us, I want to say probably a dozen. I'm not 100% sure, but I know Havis taught in, I think, three at least. He didn't tell me all of them, but I know at least three. Rich, you've taught him like four or five. Does the U.S. count? The U.S. counts. Then I would say four. Four. And then myself, I think four as well. Four or five. I don't know. I'd have to think. But anyways, let's get to that conversation and listen to what Hafiz has to share about game-based curriculum. And before we get to the conversation, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Board Gaming with Education is sponsored by The World Game, a fun and educational geography board game, exciting and fast-playing game for everyone. It is on Kickstarter right now. 
I highly recommend checking it out. I know I will be backing it because it makes for a great, fun educational game that everyone can play, as well as an amazing classroom resource. As you explore the different cities, countries, flags, you're doing it on this really cool, colorful board that comes with the entire world map. Again, it's on Kickstarter, so you're going to have to go on to Kickstarter, check it out for yourself. The link will be in the show notes. And again, that's the world game on Kickstarter. Welcome to another topical discussion about how to develop a game-based curriculum. I'm here joined by Hafiz Printer, and he is a educator. He's been in the classroom for about 11 years in different parts of the world, and now he's currently in Canada doing teacher training. But he's come on the show because he's used a lot of game-based curriculum in his teaching, and he has actually developed a game that's going to be coming to Kickstarter soon called Baghdad Rise of Power. Um, it's a 40 to 5 to 60 minute area control game based on the 11th century Middle East. Uh, it's about dynasties vying for power, but he'll likely share a little bit more about that because we're going to learn about his experience and his insights into game-based curriculum. Afis, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. First off, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, so I, I grew up playing games. I love games. Uh, it was some one of the things that we did with, with family, except um, my parents are both accountants. And so we had weird games growing up. We had a, this Canadian game called Stock Ticker, where you, you buy stocks and you roll dice and they go up and down and then you pay dividends and it taught you math. And um, as horrible as that sounds, it still remains one of my favorite games. And uh, there's just something about it. I remember I was uh, teaching in India and I was going to be moving to London in the UK to start doing some studies. And I came across a copy of Scotland Yard. I'm like, oh, this is a giant map of London. Let me buy this game and I'll play it. And then I'll learn what it's like to live in London. Uh, that was my thinking at the time. And so I did. It actually came in very helpful when I was there. Not for the transit system at all, but like knowing where things were, which is great. And so I have just had this kind of affinity with games for a while. And, and um, my collection has been growing. And I wanted to bring it into the classroom space. I like to teach the way I like to learn. And um, a lot of that had to do with just, I was always bored in my classrooms when we just had to sit there and listen. And oftentimes we got lectures. And so uh, as a history teacher, I wanted to find ways to make my classes come alive. And as a social teacher, I taught geography one year um, and we had to teach about soil. And that's history and, and geography are probably the two most dreaded one classes that are out there to teach to try and keep kids engaged and so i would do things like bring in simulations uh escape rooms which were fantastic because it got them to think like a historian and an anthropologist and so the next natural progression was a board game and uh i actually i was doing unit with my kids and they finished we finished a week early and i'm like oh i have a week to kill so let me um i gave them an assignment they had to create a board game about everything we learned that unit and I thought it'd be fantastic. And then we got to the end and I had 20 different versions of Monopoly. And I thought to myself, okay, something, something's not really gone right here. So let me try this out. I'll make one, I'll model it, and then we can give it a try. And I very quickly realized that uh, it's a lot harder <laughs> than it seems, but uh, I'm stubborn. So I wanted to continue through the process. And uh, as a result, I've made uh, three different games three different full board games for the classes. As you mentioned, one of them uh, got a really good reception from the students. Uh, my family and friends have been enjoying it. We've been play testing it. And so it's making its way to Kickstarter, hopefully this July, August time. 
And uh, it's been fantastic because I have this love of games that I've been able to bring in the class to merge with my other loves of things like history and getting the students engaged and happy. And so, uh, and I found that games were just a really fantastic way for them to connect with the material in a way that I hadn't seen them do before. So that's just a bit about me and uh, my relationship both with teaching and with games. That's awesome. And you shared a little bit about the experience that you had with your students and making their first or the first time you did, you brought to them this project of developing a board game. And it kind of, I think in, it's in line with what we're going to talk about. When we're hobby gamers, we expect everybody else to know what hobby games are. We don't, you know, they're like, hey, make a board game. So you should be using like deck building and card drafting and all these different game mechanics. But if we haven't introduced our students to those game mechanics, they're not going to be very familiar with them. Um, and I think there might be someone listening to this podcast that is not familiar with game-based learning at all, or maybe they're just starting to get into it. They're trying to learn how and what steps they might take to implement it. So before we kind of talk about that, would you define game-based learning? What do you see as game-based learning and game-based curriculum? Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic question. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head. People have different experiences with games, and so if your perception of board games are the ones that you grew up with, things like Clue and Monopoly, games that are just rolling a dice, that's your idea of game-based learning. It's let me make a game where you roll a dice and you move and you might have to answer a question, and that's how I'll do things in the classroom space. If you broaden it, though, it's really what it is, it's engaging students with new ideas, new information, new concepts through games and game elements and playfulness. And so that second question about, well, what is game-based curriculum? There's a phenomenal book. It's, it's actually about video games, uh, Video Games and Learning, Teaching, and Participatory Culture in the Digital Age by Kurt Squire. And uh, in there, I think it's page 19, there's a fantastic quote, good games find the game in the content. And I think that's key, using the ideas of games to approach ideas from the classroom in new ways and the content in new ways. One of the last things we want to do is force content, it's not going to make things authentic for the students. And then it's not going to get across what we're hoping to do. It's going to just feel more like a chore or kind of clunky. And so again, game-based learning, how can you bring in these elements of, of games to enrich the learning and get students to engage with it in a different point of view than they normally do? That's really awesome. I like the couple definitions you gave, and I'm looking at Kirk Squire. It looks like he does a lot of different uh, research in the game-based field too. So that's really awesome. And you mentioned engaging them through play or pulling the game out of the content. Um, do you have an example of that, what that looks like? Yeah, so um, the game that we spoke about earlier, uh, and this kind of gets to how do you plan your, how do you plan a game or create a game from the content? I was teaching a world history class and we had this one section and we were looking at the medieval Middle East and there was a fantastic section. It was talking about politics and the movements of people and the importance of alliance building and all of this great stuff, which is really, really great if you are into politics and, and like very detailed, almost a Game of Thrones-esque kind of level of understanding. But if you're a student, the most boring 20 pages you would ever read in the class. And so... Um, myself and a few other teachers, we sat down, like we, 
this is going to, they're going to revolt if we do this one thing. We have to do something to get them engaged. And so we started brainstorming and we started thinking about um, what did we want to get across? And so in this, what I, what I would suggest is when, if you're thinking about creating a game for your classroom and based on the curriculum, approach it very much like a lesson plan so or a unit plan. What is it that you want to cover? And then from there, and what are some of your objectives and outcomes? And then work backwards from there. So what we ended up doing was brainstorming a whole bunch of these large concepts. And to, to get to this idea of an overarching uh, understanding, the large uh, arc of history. And so things like, you know, city building was important because as a new ruler, when you came into a space, you wanted to establish yourself and to get everyone, all the local peoples to kind of accept you, you built things up. Because they're like, oh, this person's great. They've been building around. If you took over an area, you didn't just burn the entire thing to the ground. Well, hopefully you didn't. And so you would appropriate and then you would add on and you would develop the city more. So is there a way that we could have some sort of element in the game where if someone builds up part of the city and you come in, then you can build and it shows these layers of history. Historical events were another thing. You know, there was, there was a large part of history that we wanted to cover and things changed at these crossroads or these turning points in history. So is there a way that we could take certain historical elements and make them part of the gameplay? Hey, you know, this happened in history and it ended up leading to this. Can we make that something that happens in the game for each person playing that will shift the way that they have to play or the way that people interact with them? And so we thought through all of these different pieces and we wrote them all down and then we started brainstorming and we started thinking about exactly what you mentioned before, some of the different mechanics. Is this going to be a game where you're moving around the board? Well, we wanted to use a map as our board because now they're getting geographical skills. They're able to see these different things and these different places and these different names. And one of the things that I've, I love about board games, they're fantastic ways to bring in multiple forms of text. And by that, I don't mean written pieces. I, I just mean different materials. And so bringing in primary sources in this uh, visually uh, historically and so i knew there was certain individuals we wanted to introduce them to okay cool they are now the players that you that's who you're going to be playing as you're going to be part of an empire this is your leader and so what's the point of you having a leader okay he should give you some kind of advantage and it should be tied to that person so if your historical person was a patron of the arts and they were very much about building universities and bringing scholars to the core. Great. Your advantage is you get a free building, which is going to be a library. If so-and-so was a military general, fantastic. Let's You can play as the military general for this empire, and your advantage is you get five extra military pieces when you play him. And so we were able to introduce individual peoples that we wanted to then lead the students to understand more about down the line. We were able to bring in some historical events that we put in the game that were these turning part, uh, turning points. And the way that we did that was we thought about, well, is there a way that this can actually mess up someone's game plan? Can I have this and play it on someone? And now, you know, this historical event happened. You now got blockaded by the Byzantines. You have no trade. You lose all your money, which is going to impact what you're able to do. And can I then also use this as a way for negotiating? Because it was a lot of negotiating that took place. Can I use this to blackmail someone to work with me? And one of the pieces that I, I notice with my students is there's certain things that are difficult for them to understand. Why did this person backstab this person if they had an alliance? Or why were people be able to move this way or do that? Well, by getting them to play a game where they're now making decisions, they're doing these things, they're able to see, actually, it's in my best interest to 
have an alliance at this point in time, but it's also in my best interest to not have that alliance on that next turn, I'm going to shift here. And a fantastic thing about board games is, and one of my students actually brought this up, was it's almost as though in any kind of game, you get to live an experience that would have taken a, your whole lifetime to do before. So if you're playing um, this game, you're going through 20, 30 years worth of history in 45 to 50 minutes, which is how long the game was meant to be because I had a 75-minute block. Just thinking through what are the big pieces that I want the students to learn about and understand, I just jotted those down. Big concept, big ideas, who are the people, what are the events, what are terms that they need to know? Um, and then are there pictures and primary sources that I could bring in? Can I have a quote from someone? And that kind of sets the stage in the rule book. Can I, um, can I have specific buildings that were built at that time and just have that as being something that you can develop? And so each element that I wanted them to know more about, if I could, I found a way to make it into a game. So either it's something that you collected, something that you made, something that influenced a decision that you had or something that impacted the way that you played with one another. Once I had all these things brainstormed and written down, then I tried to associate different things with them, as mentioned before, and just thinking through. So the first game that I made was very much a you roll the dice and you move. I settled on that because I'm like, I need a, I need a way for them to move. How am I going to get them to do it? Is it going to be a spinning wheel? Is it going to be a dice? Uh, in the most current game, there's different cards that you pick up. And so your gameplay actually changes based on how other people are playing. So if Dustin picks up a whole bunch of military cards, I'm going to start picking up a whole bunch of these other cards here to make sure that I can uh, you know, be responsive to what he might do, which is very much about what history is. This is back and forth where you're watching other people and doing these things, whether it was thousand years ago to the Cold War to what's happening currently with certain electoral things. And so making them that point apparent to them after class that so the game itself was one piece, that debrief is another. And going back to that concept of looking at it like a lesson plan, you can look at a game in the classroom in one of two ways. You can look at it as a means to an end, or you can look at, at it as an, uh, an end in and of itself. So uh, I'll give an example of each. An end in and of itself, maybe you've created a game and it's a, a review game. They've already learned all these different things. You want to be able to assess their learning, get them to create something, engage with something so that you can assess. Uh, a means to an end is the game that I was just describing. I wanted them to learn all of this new all these new concepts, and then I wanted them to be able to connect with these later on. So this was my way of getting them to where I needed them to be. And so it's important to differentiate which one you want it to be because that can influence the way that you're going to design your game or how involved it's going to be. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really awesome. There's a lot, lot to unpack there. First, I love how your your student had shared the fact that playing a game lets you live through 20, 30 years of history. Because I'm like currently relating to that because of playing Madden, <laughs> Madden football on PlayStation, and we're doing a franchise with some friends. And we're like, it's like year 2028 20, right now, so <laughs> we're eight, seven years ahead. But yeah, I love how you talked about leaning into different game mechanics to target different learning outcomes. I think that's really important. It's not necessary because when you do game-based learning, you're kind of either looking for a way to tie in learning outcomes or you're looking for a way to make those learning outcomes a bit more engaging. And something that I've done in the past too is look at 
lesson and the lesson I was looking at is negotiation in the ESL classroom and for business class and looking at how can I make this bland textbook where they read dialogue more engaging and I decided well I could create a game and what game mechanic will I use well if I use hidden information it requires them to talk with other groups about what goal they need to complete the secret agenda for their company leans into that targeted language learning outcome where they have to use this dialogue that's in the book, but through a game-based setting. You really touched on that as far as looking at the dynamics and politics, right? And negotiation and why someone might stand with a certain group of people at one point, but then it might be in their better interest to work with another at a different time. And you just reminded me of something as you were saying that. When, when you think about learning itself, that end goal, once you have all the information and you can engage in that intellectual conversation, that's actually really interesting. And once students are there, they're engaged. They want to be able to move through that. It's that first part that's the part that's like pulling teeth sometimes. It's, let's get them the information and the ideas and the concepts that they can then use to have that deeper engagement at the end. And games do a really wonderful job of making that palatable, making that interesting. One of the things that I've noticed is um, I, now that I've shifted from being a teacher in the classroom and doing pedagogy to now being a teacher trainer and working with adults and andragogy is adults come in with a lot of background experiences and understandings, and they're, they can draw on those for their own knowledge. When students come in, we talk very much about, you know, what's their prior knowledge, what are their prior experiences? A lot of them don't have that. And so something like history is really hard to get them to tie into these pieces because you're asking them to connect to something they may not have experienced yet. A lot of uh, my love of history started later in high school and then in university because I started to have more life experience. And so something like a board game is fantastic because essentially what you're doing is you are creating an experience for the students. And through the game, they're now personalized what's going on. And so I talked before about uh, games being a means to an end. The, the game that I've been speaking about, the Baghdad one, I like to think of it almost as a what-if history. So the students had the chance to put themselves in the role of someone. They maybe got backstabbed or won or whatever else, but now they're invested in what took place. So when I say, hey, do you guys want to see what actually took place? Uh, let's open up the book. They're like, yeah, because there's a vested interest to say, hey, I, you know, I did it better than they did back then, or hey, you know, I punked you in real life and look, it happened then too. It was meant to be. And then we can talk about that a little bit in the debrief. And the thing about games is there's, there's all these different pieces that are educationally really good in there. And so if you think about it, uh, when you think about a game, you, you start off and there's a goal, there's an aim, right? And so very much like an education, we, we want to get them somewhere. And so learners are working towards a goal as they're playing through the game. And you as a teacher are deciding what that is again. Is it the means to an end or an end in and of itself? And now they're creating that personalized emotional connection to the subject matter where they may have had something like that before. And a great thing about this too is even if they had something before, you can give them a different point of view to explore as well. And so you're, you have a chance to broaden their horizon and you can do that in the same game. If they if they're to play the game again down the line, maybe they take on a different person or a different role. And does that now in the, in the debrief that changes? You know, is, did that change the way that you approach doing X, Y, and Z? It also shifts things. So something like in a hist in history, 
when we think of history, we tend to think of uh, names and dates and facts and, and all these boring things. Uh, we think of the, the what's, whereas games allow you to focus on the why's and the how's. This is how things happen and this is why things happen because you're the decision makers. They were able to shape what ended up taking place. And that shaping is really big because students have this competitive edge They and you're able to draw on that. So uh, what I've noticed quite often when I've had the chance to be in, in teachers' classrooms where they're trying to bring in game-based learning or if I've had the chance to present on it or do trainings in schools is teachers oftentimes will use something like trivia, like a Jeopardy game or Monopoly again to engage students. And it works really well because kids do like that competition. I would steer a little bit further away from those because if you think about those, they don't really get the kids to have a deeper understanding and engagement of what the material is. Something like uh, Jeopardy is asking lower order questions. It just recall. That's not to say that it can't be done in an interesting way, but oftentimes that's a bit of a default for people. We can still take that idea of, of using competition and build it into other games though that we can bring into the classroom space. Another great way that games and education work really well together is that idea of feedback. You get instant feedback in whether it's a video game or a board game. And so if you make a decision and it it messes you up down the line, that's on you. And you're able to see that. And then if you could learn from that, fantastic. And if you can't, it's going to be an interesting rest of the game for you. But oftentimes, the others at the table around you are going to point it out. And that leads to the next piece, which is that games are social and learning is social. And so and it can be collaborative. So as you mentioned with the, the hidden information, you, you could be working together on a task for something. You could be working against one another. You could have a hidden goal, uh, which are some of the different elements that you can build into the games that you're thinking of. But it's more fun when you learn together rather than saying, okay, let's open up a book and read. And this is coming from someone whose last name is Printer. I love books. I love reading. But it's very individual when you're doing that approach. Games allow you to learn with other people, which is fantastic. And it ties this idea of it being student-centered. It's not the teacher at the front of the room saying, hey, okay, let me spend this five minutes lecturing about policies and diplomacy and so forth. You get a chance to do that. And um, so you have all of these fantastic things that we're aiming for in education that are encapsulated very well within game-based learning, whether it's a board game or a video game or a simulation or an escape room or whatever approach you want to take for your classroom. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how you brought up the Jeopardy games. I I share the same sentiment. I, I think they can be done and they're not the worst thing to do in class, but there are some pitfalls with it. And you mentioned a couple. Another one can be um, a lot of times a group gets so far ahead. And when that happens, the other groups tend to not care. And a good game has something called a catch-up mechanic, which allows the groups to kind of, every player to kind of stay pretty close so you don't really know who's winning. I mean, it depends on what kind of player you are. I like some of the games that really do really beat you down if you're making some poor decisions, but that's me personally, and that's not in the classroom. If I'm in the classroom, maybe I can see, you know, students, if they're not going to win, they can easily give up playing. If they give up playing, they're giving up the learning there. Yeah, or they might even just shut down, like, why am I... No one wants to feel bad, and especially in a classroom space. But um, yeah, some of these things are important, especially with the shift to online. Um, Kahoot's been really big. Quizzes has been really big. Um, there's all these different quizzing tools 
that gamify. They take elements of uh, gamification and, and they use it, whether it's uh, you know having the scores or getting a streak or being able to see where you tally against other people. And it's being used more and more and more. And it's it's not bad as a review tool, but if is it are the students really learning as they go through that? It's fantastic as a review tool, but if you think again about that engagement level, are where are we on blooms? Are they just are they at this level here where they're just bringing up their their knowledge and and repeating things? A board game can get them to that other level where they're you know synthesizing the information, making observations, and and just really applying a lot of these different skills and ideas in a deeper way, which means they're going to be able to make sense of it in a, in a much deeper way. And, um, and you could have that same pitfall with board games as well. So I mentioned earlier, my students all made a different version of Monopoly. And I've seen teachers do that as well. In fact, when um, I was working on this one game, uh, I mentioned we brainstormed with other teachers and one teacher needed it that coming week. And so they just created a Monopoly version and we sat down, we had a conversation afterwards. And what they did is they just renamed each of the spaces after different cities and some of the cards just had people's names in them. I'm like, okay, but tell me about the game. Like, what do you want them to learn through that? And through the conversation, they had a difficult time sharing what that was. Essentially, it was just, it was just Monopoly, but with Middle Eastern names. It's, it's no different from buying the, those themed Monopolies that you buy out there. So the students didn't really learn about what we wanted them to learn about. They just played Monopoly and it happened to have a bunch of different names on it. Right. That's like, I mean, we look at something we were talking about earlier is uh, grabbing the content out of the game here. It's Monopoly could be great for looking at certain things like probability. I know some teachers who have looked at um, economics where they played different versions of Monopoly, like communism Monopoly the regular monopoly and a different one. I don't know. I don't remember the example, but I mean, there's a, there's a lesson plan on the internet. If you just search monopoly economics lesson plan, you'll probably find it on Google. Um, but yeah, you also mentioned quizzes and Kahoot. And I think again, those games do some things that, that are better than maybe other times of gamification. Cause we talk about um, the catch up mechanic and losing students, but what Kahoot and quizzes do at least quizzes, I'm not sure about Kahoot, I used quizzes more, is it hides the leaderboard. So it only shows you who's near you, right? So you're always competing with the people near you. And then after the end of the game, it'll show the total leaderboard. So it's a way to kind of hide that information because then students will get discouraged. And you mentioned the streaks too. And there's there's certain things that you can do in an online space. Like we're gonna we're trying the best we can with the tools we have. It's the strangest thing that we're all of a sudden uh, within a, in a few weeks at last year, everyone had to switch to online and just learn all these new tools. And but there's a lot of things that we used in the classroom prior to that still work really well online. That build in that concept of game based learning. So um, taking a game that already exists, something like Taboo, and then just switching in with the words from your curriculum, your content. They're thinking about it in a very different way if they're doing that because they have to come up with different ways to get people to understand what they're coming, what they're trying to say. Same thing with Pictionary, where they're using a different modality, they're drawing it out. So these are games that we've been playing for years and years and years and been using in the classroom for years and years and years, which are fantastic because it shifts it up. It's not, again, just that lower order thinking because they really have to think through what it is they're doing. And it works really well online as well because you can use the whiteboard on Zoom, for instance, or something like AutoDraw or whatever else it might be. 
Yeah, I have two two games for you and anyone else listening to that kind of build on those ideas of taboo. And one's trap words. It's it is taboo, but the other team is creating the trap words, the words you cannot say. So there's that extra layer of learning going on while both teams are involved in the game and they're involved in learning instead of just the one person with the the card and taboo. And another one is monikers, which is it is taboo. I don't you're shaking your head like you played it, so I, I think you're familiar. But you have I think you can say a certain number of words the first time, or you can say as many as you want to try to get the person to guess the word. Then you can only use one word to get the person to guess the word. And then the third round you can only use like charades, like actions to get them to guess the word. So it's very much a mastery level of whatever maybe you're using terminology in a content area or vocabulary. That brings up a really great point too, which is you don't have to reinvent the, reinvent the wheel. If you want to bring board games into the classroom space, you can look at ones that are already out there and modify them to fit in your classroom in a way that makes sense. So something like monikers or taboo uh, or Pictionary work really well. But depending on what you're teaching, there may already be something out there. And, and I know through your website and um, through the blog and everything else, you recommend things that work really well for the classroom space. And so um, just thinking for history classes, there's, there's, I've, I've brought in Seven Wonders into my class, which is a quick civilization deck building game to have the students play through that and see, you know, what's the importance of building up if you want to do through science and what military and so forth. But there's things like timeline, which is literally that you're building a timeline. There's a picture. And on one side, um, there's just the picture on the back side of the picture and the date. And you need to work together to see, okay, where does this fit on the timeline? And it gets more and more difficult as more people add the things on, but it gives a scope of, of history. And there's other fantastic games that are very educational. Um, Freedom is a, a game that I bought and I absolutely love. It's about the Underground Railroad and trying to get uh, enslaved peoples to Canada. Um, and it's the most stressful game I have ever played because you have to make very difficult decisions because you can't save everyone. So you need to decide how are you going to um, how are you going to get the most people? But then you're thinking through some of these very stressful things and you're seeing what's taking place. And the game is very smart in the way that it, it does things too, because um, the cubes are just generic cubes um, that are supposed to represent people. And they bring in historical people and events into the game and you move through time periods where you need to get to abolition. And so you're learning about stuff as you're going through well you feel the stress of what it would have been like to go there and you're seeing the slave catchers move as you move and it's um i highly recommend it for anyone who is into history but also as an example of what a, a history board game or an educational board game could look like because it's uh, that that was one of the games that when i first played i'm like i need to start making board games to teach larger concepts in the classroom space and so that being said, you don't need to make your own board game. There's a lot that are out there that you can draw connections to and bring into the class for different periods of time. If you got five minutes, you could do timeline and history class. If you have a 70-minute block, you might be able to bring in a longer game. But it's not a if you want to do game-based learning, it's not there's no gatekeeping. It's not like, oh, you have to make your own game, otherwise, you're not doing game-based learning. There's loads of things that are out there, and you mentioned some lesson plans, uh, things like Monopoly. Monopoly, the history of Monopoly 
is super interesting because it started off to teach people about the evils of capitalism. And now Parker Bros makes millions and millions of dollars off of this game, which I think is super ironic. But um, yeah, there's don't feel limited by what does game-based learning look like in your classroom space. Use the resources that are out there. And if you're interested in creating your own, give it a try. And there's lots of really great communities that are out there. This podcast is a fantastic example of that, of ways that you can develop that and get feedback and learn from that and then use it in your classroom space. Definitely. And I think that brings us to, I think, the most important words of advice that we can give anyone is to play more games. <laughs> I think oh, yeah. I think it's tough to come up with ways to incorporate game-based learning without having a library of games and game mechanics and game ideas to draw from, for sure. Yeah, and you can think about what are the parts of games that you like best and build those into your games. And that's when I first started off, I would think about them like, you know, I really like this gambling aspect from this thing. I'm going to bring in that element of chance here. And I, I like the fact that I can use this thing to make people move around that doesn't involve dice. And so you can take bits and pieces and use them to kind of recreate your own Frankenstein's monster version of the game that you want to create. And then as you start trying new things out, it gets a little bit better and a little bit better. And then you're able to create something that the students are just going to absolutely love and then they're going to beg you to play the next class and the next class and you tell them no because you have to get through the rest of the curriculum but you already have them hooked and i think one of the it there's that common saying always leave them wanting more it it works whether it's show business or if it's education because in education we are entertainers and if we can edutain then i think we're doing a good job right right yeah and speaking of entertainment we're going to move into our game and we're talking yes. about a lot of different games. So I'm going to use something that I've used before. So I hope you haven't seen it. And I'm going to ask Javis to stick around while I bring Rich back to have a follow-up discussion before we get into our game for the episode. All right, we're back. And Rich, that was I think that was a really good conversation. I learned a lot from Javis. I had my pen and paper down. I was taking notes. What were some of the first? What are the some of the first things you thought about listening to that conversation? Yeah, I thought I thought it was great. I mean, I think he definitely gives a lot of good insight into, again, more of like a practical way to kind of use, like, create board games for the students. And you can, I'm sure you as well, uh, Dustin, you've taken so many of these teacher training things, and you can totally tell like he knows exactly like the points that like the teachers want to hear. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he definitely seemed knowledgeable on pedagogy as far as what's important in classrooms. And he's teaching in Canada, so I wonder what types of things might overlap, what types of things might not when it comes to what is valued in education in either country. A couple things that I want to kind of talk about, or at least the first thing, he chats about using game-based curriculum as a means to an end or an end in and of itself. What do you think about that? And do you have any examples of sometimes you've done that? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I also wrote that down. I thought that was pretty interesting. Like the ends to a means. I feel like it's it's more difficult, right? I, I find, you know, especially when you have like these statewide types of exams that <laughs> during these times too, if you're hybrid or if you're uh, virtual, it, it's, it's stressful a little. And personally, I, I tend not to teach content with board games. I usually do it as a review. 
you know, everyone in their professions are trying to get better some ways. I probably should take some more risks by giving them. Uh, the way he was talking about like a proper good game to create to kind of help with, you know, the students actually getting the content with the skills that they need. I understand it. It just, you know, in this particular year, I will probably wait, but perhaps next year I will, you know, go for it. And also just like, like having a rubric, I think would go a long way. Like, I don't, I don't know, like just having like a framework of understanding what would the best methods be or like what, like as a teacher, I just imagine like, I would like to know what would the best type of board game would be rather than like he was talking about the Monopoly type of game. And yeah, I think I've seen teachers uh, over the years kind of like tell the students as well, I'll create a board game or something. And that one does come up a lot. Uh, so I think like helping students and helping teachers just like see what it would look like in like a practical sense. At least that would help me. What were you thinking? Right. I I tend to agree with with what you had said as far as looking at a framework. I mean, that's I think that's the key right there. There there is a lot of research about game based learning gamification and the value of it in education. However, there's not a lot that's made its way into quote unquote mainstream teaching, right? So it's it's not something that's seen as uh, substantial for curriculum, and it's tough. It's I think that's what we're kind of doing here is figuring out well these things do work, and how can we show that they work? How can we create a curriculum where yes, there's this statewide test. How can we show that this curriculum takes that student from point A to point B? On the test um and it's tough i think there needs to be some sort of framework like you mentioned and as far as the monopoly game i was i i kind of i've torn with that too because yes it's it's not the most exciting game but there might be still some learning taking place if you're the student designing a game like monopoly through the design process right you're you're kind of thinking about what pieces you might want to involve what the card, like the chance cards might do, what the pieces on the board might do. And you kind of feel a sense of ownership in that. So you feel a sense of ownership in your learning. And I, though I do agree with you and Javis that there can be better ways of incorporating, incorporating game-based board game design, I guess, where the end product can be a little bit more interactive for the players afterwards too and an engaging process for the people who play the game afterwards too i guess it also comes down to like the age of the students right like for you know 11th grade students i would hope that they would be a little more creative in like their thought process their problem solving skills things like that even like you know you guys also talked about like bloom's taxonomy you know like the top ones are like create something and i think Creating a board game is definitely a creative skill that we want our students to have for sure. But when it comes to like, I guess like a elementary school students, they would probably need a little more guidance, but you know, they, they probably would also be able to make some higher level questions, higher level board games. Right. I think it comes down to, again, to a couple things. One that you mentioned, the age range of students, but also prior knowledge something that Hafiz had talked about too, prior knowledge of board games, right? They need to know some of these game mechanics. I imagine if you ask adults to design a board game and they've only played Monopoly, 
or Clue, it's going to be tough. I think they might think of some clever ways to innovate the Monopoly board game. Yeah, I don't know. I try to think about... It's hard for me to go back in time and think about my <laughs> experience with board games before I've kind of learned a lot of, in the hobby. I think one good aspect, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the audience, all, all, all of you out there, uh, you, you listen to this podcast because you do believe that board games are an important part in a classroom. Uh, and I, I do really want to emphasize like the social part of it, right? Like, especially these days, I, I think students do need to have that social aspect, uh, have that competitive nature. I, th I think it will go a long way and just like, you know, content aside, uh, just like a fun social thing that kind of helps with their mental health. Right. And you just had me th think about a topic for a potential future episode is designing remote games for social growth as far as like, because there are so many students that are starting at a new school this year. And if you're online, imagine yourself being a new student online in a digital environment trying to make friends. If a game was put there to be able to nurture those relationships with your students in a virtual or with your peers in a virtual environment, I think that would be really huge. But that's I think that's another another topic. Um, but I want to ask you something. And I'm also curious to hear from anyone listening, because I know we do have listeners over the world in Asia and Europe and the U.S. and Americas and Latin America. And I'm curious because you, myself, and Javis have all taught in different parts of the world. And I wonder if games tend to lend themselves better in different classrooms around the world, or if it's a universal thing that just tends to work no matter where you are at in the world. I mean, obviously, we can't answer that question perfectly because we haven't taught everywhere in the world. But I wonder if there are some advantages to different places to using games. Well, I guess my first thing that comes to mind at first is, you know, kids are kids, people are people, like people like having fun, people are competitive. Um, I, I like to think people are curious and want to learn as well. Uh, so I, I, like on the basic level, basis level, I would say it probably doesn't matter. Um, maybe if you like looked into more like conservative cultures versus more uh, more diverse cultures, things like that. Maybe, maybe there would be difference. But again, my first thought is no, you know, people want to have fun. People want to be competitive and win in a game. What, what about, what do you think? Yeah, I think I had when I was listening to, well, actually, I think I thought about this when we, I was interviewing him in the middle of the interview. I'm like, I'm going to, I have to interview Rich for this episode because we all share kind of a similar background as far as teaching around the world. And then you're also a social studies teacher. But I had maybe thought that, yes, it's universal. I think games, like you said, games are games. People are people. We love to have that form of engagement and games really can engage people. But I think maybe some games or different types of games or different types of game mechanics might lend themselves better to different parts of the world. And I think of from my experience, one thing I leaned into is the collectivism nature versus the individualism nature in Asia and the U.S. I think U.S. students tend to be more comfortable with competition, where in Asia, maybe not so much. And my first year teaching, I had made the students compete against the teacher. So instead of them competing amongst themselves, I think that really helped encourage them to help their classmates, help their peers 
perform better in class and it helped me to manage their behavior too. Can I, can I have, can I ask you more questions about that? Or are you, are you the one who asked the questions? And I <laughs> No, no, you, this is all for, we listen to the conversation and we're just trying to explore a little bit more. When you talk about like collectivism versus individualism, do you think that is based on like the culture that was around them? Or do you think that is based on like other teachers that are in their schools that teach would teach differently than you? Right. Like my culture kind of mixing with their culture and whether it's because of teachers that already have a basis for how a classroom functions versus me who's coming in with a different basis for how a classroom functions. Yeah, there you go. So you, you asked the questions better than me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if I have the answer for that. I know that it works really well when I did it because not only were they behaving in class and not talking when they weren't supposed to, not speaking in Korean because they weren't allowed to speak Korean. They're supposed to only speak English. They were very much making sure their peers were following the structure of the classroom that I had set for them based on them being able to do better in the game. I, I, I asked that question because it just, I'm, I'm curious, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I taught at international schools where, you know, students are coming from all over the world in the class and I didn't really see too much of a difference. Maybe it's just like their background that they are kind of, they've been all over the world themselves that they tend to be more individualism. Uh, but I don't know if anyone has a study or something that they want to send us, I would love to read about it because I'm actually pretty curious about that. Yeah, I'm sure there's either some stuff already out there or definitely some stuff probably soon about game-based learning and different culture comparisons. I don't know. Be curious to learn too. And again, if you're listening and you've taught somewhere else in the world, we'd love to hear your story. You can comment on this episode on Facebook or you can just send me an email. I'd love to hear what you have to share. And that's podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. All right, Rich, so we're going to play a game. It's called, is that for real a board game? Oh, man. So I've already yeah. I've already asked Havis these questions. Well, actually, they're not questions. I read him descriptions of three different board games, and he has to guess whether it's really a board game or not. I made it, whether it's a real. I feel like this is unfair because he, like, he creates board games. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little unfair, but I, I have faith in you, and I think you're going to get at least two correct. Okay. How many are there? Three. I'm not going to tell you how many he got correct. Wow. Very kind of you. You're going to have to listen to the episode to see if you won. <laughs> All right. But I'm going to play the rules and the first game. I'm going to read you three different descriptions of board games. And you're going to have to tell me if it is a real board game or not. And you're going to be competing with the person who is going to follow up with our conversation, which will probably be Rich, because he's also a history teacher, so I'm excited to have him listen to our conversation. And This is a real-world example of using competition to just build interest. I love it. Right, yeah. <laughs> so then you also have to listen to the episode to see if you won. <laughs> um, let's see. So I'm going to start with this one. Soda Pop Rivals. You must develop the best soda pop recipe by drafting ingredient cards to create the tastiest recipe. Use your, your use your unique player abilities to by tapping into your family's secret recipe to create recipe combinations that impact your soda's taste and popularity. 
Is that for real a board game? I would totally play it. I don't think it's real. What do you think, Rich? Soda Pop Rivals. Um, you know what? I'm going to say yes. It is not a board game. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, that one's not a board game. I think game. you're onto something, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ready for number two. You got to get two more because I have faith in you. Here we go. There's a game called Chai, though. That's same concept, but with tea. Very similar. I think I was thinking about a description to write when I was going to do iced tea, but then I was like, well, that's, I'll go with soda. All right, the next one, Smartphone Inc. You become a CEO of one of the largest smartphone producing companies in the time when smartphones were only beginning to conquer the world. Research technologies, develop your factory, build your worldwide office network, and outprice your competitors. Is that for real a board game? Oh, I'm torn on this one. I'm going to go with real. And Rich, what do you think? I, I don't... I, I hope I hope it's not because I'm going to say something mean about it. I don't think I would like that board game. So I'm going to say no, it's not a board game. <laughs> it is a board game. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Those two, I think, were tough. Oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> do you want to cut that or something just in case there's sponsor or something? No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you have your personal opinions. It's... It sounds like a weird theme. That's what this whole the whole idea of this. Here we go. Thank uh, it, my problem is I didn't get a smartphone until like later in life, <laughs> and I never really had. <laughs> like, all right, number three. It is a real board game. Oh yes. I was wondering if you had known it because it, it was kind of popular on Kickstarter, kind of not like super popular, but it was. I popular. have been of trying to avoid Kickstarter at least for the last few months because I've already spent my Kickstarter budget for the year. So okay. <laughs> I hadn't mean. seen that, but I kind of want if it's if there's a late pledge option, I might go back and just uh, go check it out. Yeah. In Dollmania, you run a doll factory trying to produce the most popular dolls on the market. To achieve this, you buy tiles to upgrade and customize your dolls and hire specialist employees to help you. Is that for real a board game? I'm gonna say no. You're shaking your head yes or no to try to get a response from me. You don't want to go for three. You got to get this one. I don't want to go for three. Uh, it's it seems pretty similar to the other ones. I'm, you know what? Why not? Yeah, people are creative. People like dolls. People like building things. I'm gonna say yes. It is a board game. <laughs> it is not a board game. Oh my god! <laughs> the name of the board game is actually called Automania, which is I just took. Doll mania, replace it with auto mania, and replace dolls with auto. So it's about designing mm. an auto factory and well, designing automobiles mm. in an auto factory, I guess. Man, so you, I guess you don't have to listen to the episode, you'll know that you <laughs> <laughs> that I already lost. lost. <laughs> you are correct. The name of the board game is actually called In Auto Mania. You run an auto factory trying to produce the most popular. Automobiles on the market. To achieve this, you buy tiles to upgrade and customize your automobiles and hire specialist employees to help you. Yeah, the doll so thing is... seemed really focused. So I'm like, I don't I don't know if there was a big enough audience for that. Yeah, I tried to think of a word that would go good with mania. A better one. <laughs> I don't know why that popped in my head. I was probably looking around. I mean, cabbage patch dolls and beanie babies. There totally were mania for, for yeah, dolls. So for sure. And congratulations to Javis with that shutout. 
3-0. Javi's the winner. All right, Javis, thank you so much for coming on the show. And if anybody wanted to find you or reach out to you or check out your game that's coming out, how might they do that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear from people. So um, we have our email address is printerinkgames, uh, I-N-K, because we like puns. And so printerinkgames at gmail.com. Um, feel free to reach out, say a quick hello if you want to talk about board games or education or uh, just anything. Um, I I like getting email. I'm one of those weird people that just never changed from like the early 90s till now where like emails just makes me happy. Um, <laughs> if you want to check out the game, we're uh, launching our landing page soon. And so it's just uh, BaghdadRiseOfPower.com. And you'll be able to see some of the art. You can join our subscription list. And uh, we've just gotten the game up on Tabletop Simulator if you want to give it a try as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Hapis. Thank you for having me. All right, Rich. Thank you again for coming on the show. And I'm excited to have you on again. If anybody wanted to reach out to you or say hi, I know you maybe are active on social media or not. But I'll let you share wherever people to find you. I'm not active on social media. So uh, they could... Email me via Board Gaming with Education. Perfect. And that's podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. Uh, thank you again, Rich. And we'll see you. I'm excited for that Soda Pop Riot. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> I like the name of it, actually. Soda Pop Rivals? Rivals. Oh, that, yeah. that's, uh, see, maybe there's. Maybe that's why you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for All having right. me and uh, have a good one. Again, this episode of Board Game with Education is sponsored by The World Game, a fun and educational geography board game. It's a super exciting and fast playing game for everyone. Highly recommend checking out this game on Kickstarter now. It comes with this really cool world map that includes different cards for each country with a flag and a bunch of facts. Really awesome educational resource. Something I highly recommend adding to your classroom collection or a great game to play at home. And again, that's the world game on Kickstarter. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.